Best Book Bits brings you Tom Butler-Bowden, the man behind the 50 classic series with nine books in the collection, ranking in order 50 self-help classics, 50 success classics, 50 spiritual classics, 50 psychology classics, 50 prosperity classics, 50 philosophy classics, 50 politics classics, 50 economics classics, and 50 business classics, and my current favorite right now, Never Too Late to Be Great, translated into 23 languages, a true scholar, Australian native, Tom, thanks for being on the show. Great to be with you, Michael. For those of you who don't know you, where did it all start for you? Yeah, uh, so as you said, I grew up in Australia um, from Adelaide, then I moved to Sydney. I went to uni there and worked in the government there, advising ministers and so on. Um, and when I was doing that job, I had to summarize sort of complex issues uh, for ministers down into one page for cabinet meetings and so on. So I developed a bit of a skill there in, in summarizing analysis. And at the same time, I was getting very interested in the whole personal development literature, reading, you know, Anthony Robbins, Stephen Covey and all of that, getting heavily into that. So I guess I reached a bit of a career crossroads, continue in the sort of political path I was on or um, get further into personal development. So I started writing a a lot of notes um, on on all these sort of classic self-help books, motivational, and that just sort of became a book. I had so many many notes. Um, And so over, over, I guess, three or four years, I transitioned from my old career into becoming a writer and initially focused very much on personal development. And then as that classic series grew, um, covering other areas, you know, such as philosophy, politics, economics, uh, psychology. I just want to make it clear before we begin the show, I'm actually a massive fanboy of your work. As your first book, 50 Self-Help Classics, started me on the path to personal development and myself, like you, summarizing over 700 books on my site, bestbookbits.com. I think you wrote your first book back in 2001 while traveling Australian Outback. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. I did, I did some uh, some writing there. That's right. Um, I guess wanted to clear my head because I've been in the UK for a couple of years uh, studying, came back to Australia, um, was, was heavily into this literature and then sort of wanted to work out what I could actually do with it. Because you have to remember it. At the time, self-help was a bit of an underrated genre um, in, in the early 2000s. Now it's like everyone totally takes it for granted. But at the time, it was considered a bit sort of lowbrow and no one would touch it in a sort of serious way. So what I wanted to do was create um, what I thought would be the first guide to that whole literature. So I do one chapter on each, you know, what I felt was a classic popular book in in the genre um, and then put it together in the end. There's like 50 books, so the 50 self-help classics. Um, so, I, yeah, I love writing it. I, I didn't find it that difficult because um, I'd written a fair amount of stuff before. So the whole process of writing my first book came relatively easy, found a publisher easily, and then they got published in, in the UK as well and then the States and, and, and has done pretty well. So um, that was sort of a fortunate foundation to, uh, to my writing career. 
Some of the hundreds of books and authors you've studied are amazing. You've studied politics, economics, and history at university. What led you into studying personal development? Yeah, yeah, London School of Economics. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. Um, I was very into politics, history, you know, economics, etc. Um, but um, same time, was, I was quite into personal development. And um, I guess I think of, you know, the, the Samuel Smiles, who wrote the original book titled Self-Help in 1859. And he was sort of a, a political journalist, um, crusading journo. And then, but he slowly got interested in the sort of uh, success uh, of, of people living in his time. Like, how did they succeed? What did they have to do? Um, how did they sort of arrive at their epiphanies and breakthroughs, etc.? So, um, and then, so he should, he also shifted from like you know the political to the to the personal so I guess I I sort of went on that one on that same path um and uh, he had this he had this saying that um you know nothing really changes unless the person changes so the big revolutions in the world happen inside people's heads so uh, that that resonated with me um and, and even now I think, you know, you can't really change stuff politically uh, and culture, society, unless people change. So really at the end of the day I felt that personal change was more important as the sort of first level of things, you know, before politics or culture. So that's why I decided to, to focus on that and, um, and leave the political career behind. Tell me what it was like winning the U.S. Benjamin Franklin Award in 2004 for your first book. Yeah, that was great. Um, started to get recognition um, for these books. Yeah, after the self-help classics, I did the success classics and the spiritual classics and then psychology. Um, yeah, so they're all selling. They're all out there still um, selling because they're sort of a reference work Um they're sort of be a bit beyond fad and fashion, although I do update them. Um, so, yeah, it was nice to get um, recognition and also of the fact that this genre, motivation, success, self-help, was a real genre and, you know, it was worth um, getting respect um, from, from a, a critical uh, perspective as well. I just want to put it out there to my audience that your book, 50 Success Classics, inspired me to actually write my first book, which is 50 Steps, which I researched over 500 books to complete. Now, in your opinion, what is the difference between self-help and success in your opinion? Yeah, um, self-help is really about trying to improve yourself, as in your relationships, um, your happiness, your levels of happiness, your levels of well-being, um, not necessarily anything to do with worldly success. But success, in my view, is about worldly success. So you want to translate your personal happiness and well-being, um, you know, to your, to your work, um, to your level of finances, etc., to your social recognition, um, so I don't think one is good and the other is bad. You know, we both want, all of us want both, you know, happiness and well-being. We also want 
uh, success in the world as well. So I just wrote two different books to cover the two different things. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's a question of whether what, what the sort of relationship is between them, um, whether you can be successful in the world and, and not happy or you can be happy and um, unsuccessful, if that's possible. Um, I guess that's more of a philosophical question, but that is my basic um, divide, uh, you know, in, in the literature and also um, philosophically. Yeah, perfect. Your next book, 50 Spiritual Classics, what was that like researching this topic and where do you sit spiritually? Yeah, that was an amazing experience writing that book. I mean, I, I covered everything, you know, from the Bible to the to Buddhism right up to, you know, books like The Power of Now and The Purpose Driven Life. So I w- wouldn't recommend reading those 50 books in the space of a year like I did. It was a bit of a mind spin. Um, but, you know, I, I, I learned a huge amount um, as, as I've done with all these books. Um, yeah, religion, spirituality, um, I think it's really important that people have some some sort of understanding of, of a of power beyond themselves, um, if only for their sake of mental health. Because if everything comes down to you and your personality and your ego, it's easy to take everything personally and you can seesaw in terms of success or failure. But if you can sort of put a lot of that onto something else, you know, whether you call it infinite intelligence or God or or something else, it, it, you do become, you know, happier and also you feel like you have a larger purpose, you know, in terms of your place in the universe. Um, so when I went along that path, it did make me happier and more purposeful. Um, it's like Freud said, you know, the, the ego, the id and the, and the, and the superego, there's these three elements that you need to balance to have a, have a happy, successful life. As a segue, your next book, 50 Psychology Books, you tackle one heavy topic after another. What was the experience like researching this topic? Yeah, everything from the, from the sort of pioneers of psychology you know, like Freud and Jung, up to more recent um, psychology, you know, bestsellers, classics. Because what I realised was that over over a 15-year period, the people who are reading like self-help motivational books started to get into more popular psychology because it was more rigorous, grounded in studies, etc. So now the same person who might, you know, who who 15 years ago might have just read Anthony Robbins or Stephen Covey, you know, now they're reading books like Thinking Fast and Slow and Paradox of Choice and a whole bunch of popular psychology because they're considered to be uh, more, you know, better grounded. So I thought if I was going to stay in this whole area of personal development, I had to move with the times and cover psychology both as a discipline and as a popular genre that it was becoming, um, you know, that the, the sort of expert, the bar had been raised in personal development and um, psychology was becoming a, a very important part of that. You know, you think of like Adam Grant today, he's got millions of 
Instagram, Twitter followers, um, organizational psychologist. So, you know, people like him have, have replaced the sort of old school motivational speakers. Then one year later, you released 50 Prosperity Classics. Then you had a four-year break from releasing anything. What else did you get up to apart from researching, reading, and writing? Yeah, well, I sort of got, after doing five books or something, reading, as you would know, if you were doing only summarizing your books every day, you know, for several years, it's it's um, so many ideas in your head and so much work. So I did take a bit of a break. Um and that's when I wrote uh, the other book, um, The Never Too Late to Be Great, which was sort of my, um, yeah, that was the later version. So really what that book came out of was I, I had covered, you know, every possible idea in psychology, personal development, success, and I just felt there was something lacking in the whole literature. So that was my book I wanted to fill the gap. And the, the missing link for me was time, that personal development hadn't taken enough account of time and the time it takes to achieve things. Uh, so that's what I wanted to, to do with that book. Yes, fantastic book. And I'm going to read the intro blurb. Never Too Late to Be Great is about the power of thinking long, exposing the myth of overnight success. Contrary to popular belief, people, companies, products and ideas inevitably need a long time to realize their potential. Highlighting the importance of the 10-year rule as referred to by Malcolm Gladwell's outliers, which suggest that significant achievements rarely happen without a decade of intense work and practice in any given area. Never Too Late to Be Great offers inspiration for the impatient or disheartened to stay on the course and gives reassurance to us all that we have more time than we think to achieve our goals. You I think we're around that age when you wrote that book. Is that correct? Yeah, um, roughly, exactly. So um, I was partly writing it for myself. <laughs> the larger context was that obviously people were living longer lives, greater longevity. So even though success takes longer than we think to achieve, as you've said, our time frames for achieving stuff are actually much longer. If you've got a if you've got a productive lifespan of now 70, 80 years, it means that you know when you're forty, you've you've got decades ahead of you still uh, in which to achieve stuff, rather than the old idea of you know when you're 60, 65, that's it. Um, so I wanted to give people, um, I guess, heart or reassurance that if they hadn't achieved what they wanted by a certain age. And I give tons of examples in the book, as you know, of people who sort of succeeded a bit later um, to give people reassurance that actually they had a lot more time than they thought. I'm about to release this book summary, and one of the things you talk about often in the book is slow-cooked success. What do you mean by this? Um, What I meant by that was our society is totally geared towards overnight success. And achieving things quickly. You know, you think of like the Mark Zuckerberg type of person who creates a platform very quickly, it's successful, and he's a billionaire. But they are really the the sort of rare exception. For 99% of people, you know, things take decades. Um, Bill Gates said people overestimate 
what they can achieve in a year and underestimate what they can achieve in a decade. Um, and I think that's absolutely true. And I'd even go so far as saying give yourself a 20-year time span and you'll, you'll achieve even, you know, incredibly more than what you expect. Um, so it's just, a, it's just this thing of giving yourself um, a bit more time and also respecting the experiences that you've had in the past which brick by brick have made you the person that you are now. Like I mentioned my career in, in government and so on and writing briefing notes and, and at the time I didn't think, you know, if I change career to personal development or something, I would sort of leave all that behind. But actually I could only achieve what I have in the writing sphere because of skills I'd picked up in the previous job or career. So often you can only really able to achieve something significant having gone through several jobs careers etc so again don't sort of beat yourself up about you know apparent um dead ends cul-de-sacs failed experiences that you've taken actually when you look at a lot of successful people in history they were the building blocks for what was to come Henry Ford did not launch the motor company until he was about 40. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And uh, the statistic at the moment is actually people think startups for everyone in their early 20s, but the most successful startups at the moment come from people in their 40s, 50s, etc., because they've got this this greater life experience, you know, which they will need to get them over the inevitable obstacles. One of the other quotes in the book you refer to is the formula for success today is to combine the magic of thinking big with the power of thinking long. It does take both thinking big and thinking long to achieve success. Yeah, um, and the magic of thinking big was a, is a popular self-help classic. So that's where I got that idea from. But in that book, there's very little about the time it takes to achieve things. So, so I thought combine that with the power of thinking long and success becomes inevitable, um, in my view. It is like an equation. As long as you give yourself enough time and, you know, are willing to go over obstacles, there's no way that you can't be successful. I totally agree. In the book you talk about Thomas Edison, you famously said genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Less often recorded is the rest of Edison's statement. Accordingly, a genius is often merely a talented person who has done all of his his or her homework. Mm. Yeah, and one last thing I'd add to that is that try and do some work or job or pastime career which puts you into the flow state um, where time seems to stop still. So... Um, by doing that, you'll get totally into whatever you're doing, into the process instead of thinking about the the results or the outcome. Um, but it just means that whatever you're doing, you are you are totally enjoying it because you're in the state of flow, and the results will take care of themselves. So it's a macro thing of thinking about time in terms of decades, and then also the micro of doing work where you're so into it that time seems to stop still. Tell me, what's the Capstone series all about? 
Um, yeah, that's these books. Um, some people might be familiar with the, the sort of look at them, look or feel. The idea behind them was that there are so many like older classic books from a few decades ago or 100 years ago or going back to ancient times. And I just thought people weren't reading them because they seem sort of old and fusty and too difficult. So the publisher, Wiley Capstone, and I had this idea to repackage them in very attractive covers, um, update the text, give them new interesting in, uh, introductions, which put the book into context for the modern reader. So, um, you know, we did like Machiavelli's The Prince, uh, Marcus Aurelius' Meditations, um, but we also did, um, I got the 19, the original version of Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, um, and Wallace Waddle's Think and Grow Rich, some of these older prosperity classics. And we also repackaged them, uh, you know, for today's audience. So everything I do is really about taking existing ideas and bringing them to a new audience who wouldn't have known about them before. So, um, yeah, the, the Capstone Classics series is um, just a part of that. Absolutely fantastic. I want to know about your special library you spent a lot of time in while researching these books. Which library is this and why is it so special to you? Bodleian, yeah. It was started by Thomas Bodley. So it's part of the University of Oxford, but most you can get a pass to it, you know, if you're researching something. So I literally spent years in that place um, writing some of my books because there's a rule of silence. Um, it's incredibly conducive to working. You're surrounded by all these wood-panelled rooms with busts of famous scholars and old books and stuff. So, um, you know, people say sometimes it's hard to work at home, so I get that. So if you can, if you can find a place to work like that, you know, it can be an incredible sort of boost to uh, to getting things done. And how many hours in the library would you spend daily? Uh, well, sort of nine to five um, and sometimes a bit later. Um, I mean, now I have an office at home and because of the pandemic, I had to stop going to the Bodleian and I was working in, in London as well. Um, but, you know, it's I, I love, I'm with you there, I totally love libraries. Um, wherever I go, I try to seek out, you know, the the best one in, in the city or the town because um, they often sort of carry a place's soul. Um, the British Library in London, uh, Mitchell Library in Sydney, uh, incredible place, the, the one in Melbourne. Um, so, yeah, I, I love to celebrate libraries um, when I can. And after the Capstone series, he wrote another 50 classics and this time, 50 psychology classics. What was it like researching another heavy topic? That was amazing. I think of all the books I've done, I probably, that was my steepest learning curve. I've never actually studied philosophy before. So, you know, going from everything from, you know, Aristotle to Noam Chomsky and everything in between um, was amazing reading all these classic books and then uh, summarising it analyzing etc um so i'm very glad i did that book um and then we had a bit of a a change um in that 
went back to doing a sort of econ business area. So I did the 50 economics classics and then the business classics um, also, which have done well. Then you had 50 politics classics released in 2016. This would have been fun for you having studied politics at university. Yeah, that, that was one of the easier ones I've done. So with this series, we've gone from these sort of, um, uh, you know, personal development, self-help success type genres to the more classic genres, you know, philosophy, politics, economics. Um, so, yeah, it has become more, I've become more interested in the hard topics and what I found is these books keep on being popular year after year because no one's ever going, they're not faddish topics. You know, people are always going to be interested in these areas. So I'm glad that I've been able to shed some light for the general reader um, in these subjects. I see you as a modern-day Napoleon Hill combined with a hint of Robert Greene in terms of the volumes of research you've done over the decades and the time spent compiling knowledge for the world so we don't have two. How many books have you read over the years? God, I mean, I mean that series alone, um, that was sort of minimum 500, plus doing a lot of other research around it. Um, and then there were the capstone classics. So, yeah, probably be at least 750, I'd say. Um, I've, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, writ- I've written over a million words. So... Um, you know, I love the craft of writing itself and editing. Um, so I always say to people who are seeking writing advice, um, just read more, you know, read a massive amount um, and you will start to work out, you know, what is a good book, what's average, what's mediocre, what's good writing, what isn't. And also by studying other people first and, you know, taking notes, etc. At first, you are not going to be in any way original. You're just going to be really rehashing ideas you've already got in your head. But over time, uh, you know, you will start to see gaps in, in the literature or ideas. And so then you will slowly percolate into the top. You'll develop some original ideas, um, you know, which, which takes years and, and a lot of work and so on. So, if, yeah, if you're a budding writer, just read a, an awful lot. And, and write a lot, um, even if you don't think it's good quality. Uh, read and write. It's that simple. Yeah, cool. What's your process when it comes to writing books and doing research? Are you pen and paper or computer typing? Um, always typing. So if I'm going through a book, I'll just be reading it in real time. I don't read a book and then a few days later go up and write notes because you always lose a ton of stuff. You've got to do it in real time. So if you're, if you're studying um, a book or summarising it, have it in front of you, like on a stand. So each chapter you're going through, you're taking notes as you do it. Um, and then you, the, the key to writing good analysis or summary is great notes. If you've got really good notes in the first place, it's much easier to write it up at the end. Um, and then uh, in terms of... The actual time, um, I get all my best stuff done uh, first thing in the morning. Um, so try to get everything done as possible before lunchtime when, you, when your mind is fresher. 
um, and then leave the rest of the day to doing more, you know, admin things. Are you a coffee man or tea man? Coffee is a bit too strong for me. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just have usually a cup of tea or something. But caffeine is very useful for getting you into the zone, into the state of flow. Um, you know, uh, having that sort of Zoom focus um, on what you're doing, yeah. What topics are you researching for your next book in the 50 Classic series? Well, um, there will be other books uh, in that series, but what, I'm, what I've done in working on the last year or so is we're developing a new knowledge platform called Memoed. So I'm managing the whole content side of this app and platform. Um, I can give you the link at the end so you can put it in your show notes. Um, but it's basically taking the ideas that I've had with the whole 50 classic series of making existing knowledge, um, disseminating it, but making it more succinct. So we will take a book and put it into like 10 or 20 points, only like bullet points. Um, so instead of like a, a chapter written in regular prose, you know, we've got these very succinct dual-like 20 points on a book or a topic. Um, so it's, it's taking the 50 classic series to an extreme because one feature I, you would know from the book, I have this one-line summary of my longer summaries, which is in a nutshell. So it's a summary of the summary. So I wanted to do this thing, um, I wanted to do it online, so get beyond physical books, e-books, etc., and actually create a platform and an app that people can use on their phones, uh, on their computers. Um, so we're still sort of um, very much at the beta release uh, stage, but it's basically taking all the everything I've learned in all my writing and um, and the whole method of summary and analysis, and but putting it online so that other people contribute their own content in a similar way. Yes, agreed. One of my favorite quotes I heard you mention is, what drives me is the idea that at some point in the future, the average person will possess much more knowledge than what is acceptable now. The possession of knowledge on its own doesn't automatically translate into success, but what it does do is provide more references against which to check new information. <clears throat> yeah, Um yeah, I, look, knowledge on its own or inf information is one thing, knowledge is another thing, and wisdom is something else again. But, um, you know, you have to make, A, make use of existing information in a better way um, before it becomes knowledge. And then when you have knowledge, the more knowledge you get, the more you want, you realise what you don't know. And then over time, you, the brain naturally sees themes and commonalities in your knowledge, and that is the beginning of wisdom. Um, so an analogy would be some people say, um, well, you should focus on your spiritual life, say, and forget about you know money. But actually it tends to be the reverse. Um, if you achieve some level of sort of, financial comfort or independence, then, you know, the old hierarchy of needs, Maslow's pyramid, you move on to the next level. 
and you think, oh, well, now I've got that. I want to learn more or get more education or I want more spiritual development. So you go up and up this this pyramid. Um, so that's how I see information, knowledge uh, and wisdom, that, you know, it's very much in an order like that, that, that you begin with and, and go upwards. Now, the last question before we wrap up, if you could host a dinner party like Come Dine With Me with three people from the past famous, who would they be and what would you serve them? Jeez. Um, yeah, look, I um, <clears throat> I think it would be quite a few um, philosophers. Um, I'd get someone like Socrates at the table, um, you know, uh, from ancient times, I'd get some sort of mid-century philosophers like uh, Jean-Paul Sartre um, or Heidegger, and I would have, because I'm now very much into technology, online startups, I would invite Satoshi Nakamoto, the inventor of Bitcoin. No one knows who the hell he is or she is or they are. Um, so that would be the, uh, the sort of surprise guest um, that I'd have along. Yeah. Um, in terms of what I'd serve them, I think a basic Mediterranean diet that Socrates would be used to, lots of grapes, uh, olive oil, um, bread, red wine, simple things like that. That would be a late night and a great conversation. Tom, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Where can people find you online and buy your books? Yeah, if you just Google Tom Butler Bowden, um, my website will come up, uh, number one, which has got actually quite a lot of free content on there, some of the summaries for my books. Um, and then you'll also uh, see all the, all the Amazon links, um, Audible, etc., wherever you want to buy the books, including the Capstone series. Um, and then, Michael, I'll also give you a, a link to this new knowledge platform. So uh, if people want to check that out, they can as well. <clears throat> I also have a podcast similar to yours. We cover a called Book Insights where we cover a different non-classic book each week. Um, so I'll, I'll give you the link for that too. What's the podcast show name? Uh, it's called Book Insights. And before we go, what's the last message you want to give my audience? Yeah, um, it's never any any waste to spend money or time working on yourself. Um, a lot of people, Warren Buffett has said the same thing. Obviously have a career plan, um, what you want to achieve in five, ten years or whatever. Um, but keep educating yourself, both in terms of personal development trying to improve your your sort of self-help, um, success, relationship skills, but then also educate yourself about, you know, hard topics, um, science, um, philosophy, um, psychology, stuff like that. Um, so whatever you are into in terms of books, always try to sort of raise the bar a bit. Tackle difficult books. Um you know, they're very much worth it and you'll get some uh, bragging rights too at parties. <laughs> well, Tom, thanks for being a guest on the Best Book Bits podcast and look forward to your next books, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Butler-Bowden.
Take care. Thanks a lot, Michael. Yeah, it was a pleasure.